Welcome back to a bonus episode of Full Metal RPG. I'm your host, Brennan Carrion, and today I am joined by Drew Cochran. Is that right? Did I say your name right? Yes, sir. Right on. Uh, Drew is currently kickstarting a game, and uh, I came across it on Kickstarter, and I have to say, I scrolled past it a couple times before I finally decided. I was like, you know what? I want I, I want this in my life. I want this in my life. The game is called The Epic of Dreams, Unbound Fantasy Roleplay, and we have him here today to talk about the game. Drew, what is up, man? How's it going, man? Dude, it's a beautiful, beautiful Sunday morning over here. Uh, what What's going on over there? What's going on with you? Uh, we're actually getting over a cold. It's been rainy in New York for like all freaking week, um, but we're getting work done, you know, so it's, it's happening. Cool. So, uh, just to get started, let's kind of, you know, introduce you to the listeners, you know, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and about, uh, your kind of like your history in gaming. Like, uh, how did you come into it? That, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, ha gaming. So I guess I'll just get this off my chest to begin with. The first time I was introduced to tabletop role-playing games was when 4th edition just hit. I was in high school, um, and it was it was there, it had colors, <laughs> and I didn't know any better, right? So, um, You know, I mean, here's the thing. Did you, did you get a lot out of it? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, like, I mean, back in the day, everybody hated it, uh, like, unanimously, <laughs> right? But the design of 4th edition, when you look back at, at it again, it solves a lot of problems, and it's not, like the game that I wanted to make, obviously, um, <laughs> but it's a good game. Well, no, that's great. I mean, that's really, I mean, dude, it got you into the game, yeah. right? Yeah. Awesome, awesome. And so you, how were you introduced to that? Was that like through a friend or uh, through a relative? Um, so I was introduced to Magic the Gathering by my cousin when I was like 11, and then, you know, you're in a local game store for X amount of years, and you just see everything eventually. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I like that you said that the colors drew you in because I'm I, I'm always pointing that out about the interiors of game stores and then when you line up all your books on the shelf they're always very colorful. To me, that's one of the one of the um, great like experiences of gaming is being immersed in this very like this very colorful world where everything else looks so drab. Totally, yeah. Um, that's that's kind of what does it for me too. Not necessarily the colors bit, but like what you're talking about, the immersion and uh, the drama and making it alive and visceral, you know? And that's really why I made um, the game the way I did, I guess. And we can talk about that as we do, cool. but I don't know. Cool. So so after 4th, um, what 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 did you start playing? And like, what, what do you play now? Uh, right now, it is mostly just the Epic of Dreams, um, just because we've been thoroughly testing it so much. But then at the same time, it's like, I've... Two Point made the game such that I wanted it exactly to where I wanted it to be for myself, you know? Um, so it didn't get in my way, and it did what I wanted it to do. Um, but until that point, I was also playing Pathfinder because, you know, if you're not playing... If you're not playing 4th Edition when 4th Edition was in full swing, you're playing 3.5, and then if you're playing 3.5, you're actually playing Pathfinder. So <laughs> we were doing that for a while, um, and then 5th Edition rolled around, but... I have bought and consumed many uh, an indie 
release. I really love uh, Lamentations of the Flame Princess and all of their like splats and everything. Um, awesome. There's this game called Within the Ring of Fire. Um, it's kind of this indie. Uh, really, it was like a a movement that happened on YouTube. This guy Ander Wood. Um, he he's influenced me a lot, um, and he was just kind of all about hacking 3.5 and making it the best thing it could ever be, and then that kind of became within the ring of fire, and it's got its own world and everything. But yeah, wow, that's great! I've never heard of that. I'm gonna check it out. Definitely check that game out sometime. Um, he's got a lot of stuff on YouTube, but he's kind of stopped making content. So, um, tell me, man. Uh, when did it kind of like hit you that, that with all these options going on in the gaming world, you needed to make your own? Um, I was actually in China. Um, I was living in China for a year. I was doing missionary work. I'm a Christian. Sometimes people don't like that, but whatever. Um, it was a lot of fun, but I had enough time on my hands because essentially you hang out with people and you talk to people and it's all just very social. Um, and I wanted to be able to tell the stories that I wanted to without having the rules and all the junk of like, you have to have this prerequisite and that prerequisite. So I guess really what I'm trying to say is um, like Pathfinder left a bad stain in my mouth. Right. And the thing that I like to, to call upon every single time I bring this up is in order for a fighter to half hand a spear in combat, right? Something that, that any like like new recruit green as as all hell uh like infantrymen could do they just choke up on a freaking spear you choke up on a baseball bat i don't need seven years of training and a a, a character subtype in order to do that and in pathfinder you literally need one specific fighter uh sub class and you need to get specced into that in order to choke up on a spear so you can stab people in a five foot square as opposed to a ten foot square and yeah it it drew drove me crazy so well i mean i i, I feel like pathfinder can definitely be a little bit um crazy inducing you know i mean it's uh i i, I can't say that i haven't had fun with pathfinder because i have but oh, yeah. I also don't love to just sit there and do math all day and and do and work on builds like all day long, which is apparently I think what Pathfinder is kind of about. Yeah. So, so go, go and ahead, like sorry. that's cool because it has a design space, right? Like where the the place that I've gone with the Epic of Dreams is really more about the the gusto of it and the drama and and making those stories accessible and potent, you know. Um, but like, yeah, we've all made thousands of you know uh characters builds on pathfinder and save them on that mod neceros pdf fillable form you know <laughs> like it's a it's a hobby unto itself you know i don't i don't hate on it uh so so tell us about uh the epic of dreams man like lay, lay it on me lay it on me sure uh so the epic of dreams is what i've coined as an unbound fantasy role-playing game when you learn how to play the game, uh, you can do so and have a full-fledged saga without using any dice, pens, paper, cards, or even a character sheet. Um, when you learn how to play the book, you can pick up or think of any monster, know the stats, and you can all just get together and start running, you know? 
Um, and how it works is we have this core resolution mechanic that is obviously diceless. It's a guessing game where the DM called the singer in this uh, setting, I guess, um, has a number in their head that they're thinking of between 1 and 20. And it's usually more than one number. Um, and then in order to correctly do whatever the hero is trying to do, they have to guess the number that's on the, the DM's head. And, and those numbers are 1 through 20, and they're in a circle, so it's a continuous thing. It's not like D&D &D where you're trying to think of a bigger number, um, but you're trying to match the numbers. So it's basically just matching. That's just 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 straight up. Because I was I, you sent me over the dock, and I was taking a look at it, and it was like, because, because there's, there is a modifier, right? Yes. Based on what like how easy the task is, right? Mm -hmm. So if the task is very easy, you get a big modifier to the to the to the guess right yeah so both um the numbers so we have the hidden number which is what the the dungeon master has and they set the difficulty and that has its own modifier called reach and then in addition to this whatever number the hero guesses gets a modifier on that based on their skillfulness uh based on whatever's happening um and those are informed by your level so you'll either have your forte which is your skill equals your level, or a normal skill where your skill is half of your level. So that's how much modifier you get. Okay. Okay. So when you're saying you you say because you say in the Kickstarter like you don't need it, you don't even need a character sheet. You know, like the characters are like so simple that you can just memorize it, right? Is that kind of the idea? Um, to an extent, I would say that it's more about knowing your backstory so much and 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 being enthralled in the character and the role that you are playing that those details become second nature to you right like um like my favorite pc that i've ever played i know all of the details about them even though the first time i played with them was like five years ago and i haven't played with them since probably four years ago right um mm -hmm. and then you really just need to remember, in addition to that backstory, these two numbers, which are your main stats, your primary attributes, which is your level and your order class. So your level is just your level, you know, like a D&D. &D. And, sure. and even if you were playing like 5th edition or something, off the top of your head, you would always know what level your dude is, you know? Oh, for sure. That's like second nature, right? Yeah, and then uh, similarly, you would also always know what race your dude is, right? For sure. Yeah, like I'm a dwarf paladin, I'm level six, obviously, duh. Uh -huh. um, and what the order class is, is essentially just a number based on how physically large your race is. So for most uh, heroes inside of the game, your order class is two for the whole game. So if you can remember two, your level, and who your dude is, then you can use those three different things and, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you can fill in the blanks with everything else. And the system is designed such that you can do that very quickly, especially once you read the book. That, that is fascinating, man, I got to say, because, I mean, I, I remember like, once about your age, like I had this idea, I was playing a lot of Vampire the Masquerade, and I was Boom. like, and I was always like, oh, man, wouldn't it be great if there was like no dice on this thing at all? And now, and here it is. You're creating a, a a diceless resolution mechanic, and, and and essentially with like the same kind of goals that we all had in mind, which was like complete and intense immersion. Oh um, yeah, that's character. that's the goal. 
So 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 tell tell me, man, like what's it like? How has it been going? You you say in the Kickstarter that you've been playtesting it and revising it for like five years, right? Yeah. And then there's a picture of you. Um, maybe it's on your Insta. Maybe it's on Kickstarter. I don't know. And it's like you and you're holding the book. It looks like you're at a con. Was there like a previous edition of this that you've published? So um, we have on the Kickstarter, it's uh, the higher tier. You can get a copy of our beta booklet, um, which is 82 pages. And um, it was what was going to be the initial uh, playtest release. But I went to Gen Con and I had the opportunity to do that. So I kind of took advantage of that window because I'd been working on it for five years. I wasn't actually thinking about... Uh, releasing the book even as fast as it has become now, like um, before Gen Con happened. But then my cousin, the same guy who introduced me to Magic, um, he was like, yeah, we got to go to Gen Con. You guys, let's do it. You know, the whole, it's like uh, the plot to a a bad nerd comedy, right? And then, (laughs) yeah, so I get to Gen Con, my mind is blown. It's like Mecca. And then uh, here we are, so. It's really something else, isn't it? The Gen Con experience. It's like, I mean, I, I highly recommend it for anybody who's involved in this culture. It's like, it's it's something else, huh? Yeah, it's wild. There's like... And so, go ahead, I'm sorry. There's a whole world, you know? Uh, people are as weird as I am. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, were you able to do any of those playtesting sessions while you were there? Because they have that whole room that's just playtesting of, of games. Uh, so, I was in sort of the similar production state as I've been in with this Kickstarter um, because I was making the book itself and I was just trying to make it as good as I could um, to be ready for it. So I didn't know how to navigate anything with anything official. Um, So I just kind of had the books and I was like, all right, we're going to try and and network and give these out to YouTubers, blah, blah, blah. Um, I was able to set up a couple events and get in touch with uh, a couple publishers and distributors, which is awesome. I'm working with uh, the Indie Game Alliance, who are based out of, uh, where is it, Florida right now. And they are really cool. They've helped me out so much with the Kickstarter process. And um, they're going to be bringing the Epic to a lot of different conventions around the... America <laughs> that I won't be able to attend. So, well, that's awesome, man. So, okay, all right. So, so tell me, you've been playing this game for like five years. What's it like to play, and what kind of adventures have you run with it? Um, most of the adventures I have run with it have been in one of the settings that we will be releasing um, in its own standalone book, um, in like this underworld kind of vibe. So. They've been somewhat dark, but um, at the same time, like, it's great because I can improvise off the bat and I can just run with it and have it have weight immediately. Um, Whenever we're inside of stuff, hijinks always happens, you know, like, I I always want to go for the most epic experience possible um, to turn my title into a, a buzzword, you know, epic. Uh, it's, <laughs> that's what I, I run the games for, but then with my own group, it always turns into, there's hijinks along the way, but we always come out of it with a very um, epic experience because the way we calculate experience points inside of the Epic of Dreams is through soliloquies. Elaborate. Um, so just for the folks at home, 
soliloquies in theater are when uh, the scene will stop in time, and then the spotlight will go on one character, and they will kind of uh, monologue and divulge their emotions and thoughts about what's going on right now inside of the scene. So then, in order to award experience points to gain levels, to gain titles of renown, which give levels, um, characters will sort of enter that state of internal immersion because a lot of times in tabletop role-playing game face-to-face you don't have enough time to really process through all of the little things that um, that is going on inside of a character's brain right but with this mechanic what we're able to do is delve into why um, you just stole these 15 pieces of silver from this orphan um, and then you can kind of explain yourself and then what that allows uh, what that allows to take place inside of the table is like people are drawn to first the story that you're telling and and they see the layers that have been what you've been doing for a while but then also because um, you're being more immersed inside of it it draws them in as well so it's kind of like this this gravity engine if that makes sense um, and it's, it's cool because like we game push pull kind of say yeah yeah um, but it's really close to the chest and it it's sort of uh, it's a feedback loop you know and we also have other drama mechanics that are a little bit more the, the whole thing about the system is that it's supposed to be a be able to be played without any implements so um, we had to design it sort of light um, in some areas not that it's lacking you can play it with as much depth as you could like with a burning wheel game or lamentations of flame princess um or traveler or even like yeah who calls for the soliloquy the singer or the player um most of the time is the singer um but the whole basis of the game is that you're able to have a relationship such with your dm figurehead that you you all know that you're in this together and there's a lot inside of the book that um, sort of talks against power tripping in when you're wearing the, the role of the DM. Um, and, and there's even elements of that in the design of it that, that go against that. Um, yeah. So uh, what, 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 what kind of games have you been running with this? Is it mostly fantasy uh, you've been doing some sci-fi, some horror. I mean, I, it sounds to me like the system is designed to be able to use for whatever. Is that right? Um, it could be stretched to any genre. This is true. But what I found is it is exceptional at any genre inside of the greater fantasy premise. So th- the heart of the design behind a lot of the mechanics and how they work like at a mechanical level is... Um, hit contingent on bringing people back to a pre-modern mindset um, and and sort of having them taking things at face value so that they can have deeper immersion and become more engaged in the game. Um, so you can run sci-fi games in this, sure, but it's better if um, there is that element of the mystical, um, that, that unknown, and not in an empirical fashion. I'm not against empiricism by any means, but um, we're just trying to cultivate immersion, if that makes sense. And no, it's no, not... That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, yeah. 
And I have a lot of things that I'd like to tease, and I don't know if I should, just because I don't know exactly how things are going to develop right now, but um, we run space games. We have a lot of space fantasy games that we're doing, and they're very, very lively, and I can't wait to uh, share more about that. Okay, great. Well, because uh, you just you just funded, right? Yeah. Like basically, like this weekend. So you cross the threshold. Yeah. The game is gonna happen, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So I mean, so so are are you excited? Where are you at in the process of the writing and in the production? So uh, the book is finished for the most part. We are at so yeah, the content of the book is finished. I'll always be looking it over, being like, hey, maybe I wrote this a little bit better, and blah blah blah. I have my editor; she's awesome. Um, right now she actually like just had a child, like she just delivered a child. So it kind of put a wrench in the works of production a little bit. Um, but we've been working close together for the last three weeks and things have been great. The book is at 145 plus pages of written content. We have over, uh, 70 illustrations. And right now I am finishing the bulk of those for the bestiary, uh, which has 250 uh, classic and obscure mythological entities inside of it. Um, we're done. We just have to format it into a PDF and send it out and order it. So great, yeah, great. That's like really exciting. Now, one of the things that's in the Kickstarter is it, is it talks uh, at length about these um like spells and rituals like taken from historical context, right? Yeah. Uh, so tell tell us a bit more about that. All right, so. Um, the basis for all modern fantasy is mythology, right? And these are the stories of, of our forefathers, pre-modern man, how they came to understand existence. Um, and a lot of the central ways that they ended up doing that was through their religions, their belief systems, and how they interacted with what they believed to be existent, right? Um, and that's really what the bulk of what mysticism and magic and religion all is. And we kind of have taken it into a cataloged format. So we've taken uh, as broad strokes as we can, but then also with as much specificity as we can um, to catalog all of the different things that we have seen inside of both um, epic mythology works that are cornerstones of the tradition and also um just world practices of like shamans and saints and all of these other things. Um, So really to be more specific, we have five mystical skills inside of this core rule book that you can easily hack and turn into whatever you are used to inside of high fantasy, horror fantasy, all of it. Um, And they are alchemy. And that's both contains like the Eastern and the Western traditions regarding alchemy. Um, Astrology, shamanism, sorcery, which includes basically um, goeticism and a lot of other... It's, it's kind of more of an umbrella term with sorcery. but um, And then we also have thaumaturgy, which is miracle working. So we got it all most. Wow, man. That's, that is crazy. And so because of the, the, the game is so sort of system light in a certain way... Yeah. I'm guessing that these are kind of like written prompts that like are designed to create a certain type of thinking within the game. Is that am I am I right there, or is is there more more detailed stuff? 
Um, so yeah, you what you've read inside of the mysticism chapter has all of the spells contained, and they are more or less uh, flavor uh, prompts, as you were saying. But how you contextualize them is the bulk of the magic system, and those two things are separated. So um, we have a magic engine that can go through and look at the flavor and discern it just like how the rest of the system works, like with your character, right? You have your level and your order class and your backstory. And if you know your backstory and you can remember those two numbers and you know how the game works, you can put it all together and figure out each instance and what your numbers should be um, immediately, right? So then the same thing is true for the magic system. Dude, that is awesome. That is just awesome. Uh, I mean, I think that that's one of the things that I think people struggle with, really, in any fantasy game. And then when you're talking about the sort of fantasy games that sort of merge into historical stuff, yeah, like uh, people tend to, they're they're kind of like, oh well, I know how I view magic based on like essentially what pop culture is kind of like spoon fed me over mm-hmm. like decades, you know? Yeah. Uh, but how do I look at it from the perspective of a an ancient person or a medieval person, and um, those prompts alone are are worth the cost of entry. I think because yeah. like creating that point of view is like I mean that's just integral to the role playing process. Oh yeah, the whole game in and of itself, not just the epic of dreams, but the hobby. Um, and and like I really like to hammer home the reason why we do that is so that we can relive those stories. Um, and it's not really just for entertainment, but I feel like role-playing as a hobby, you can also gain a lot of understanding about yourself as an individual and sort of develop, you know, um, revel in. Can, can, I, can I ask you just real quick, do you yeah. think that, that uh, engaging in the act of role-playing is like a way to key into the sort of Jungian concept of the collective subconscious? Um, I wouldn't say that to the degree that it's like, a uh, like you're connecting with Brahmin <laughs> to a degree, but at, at the same time, I do think that you're connecting to like what's written on your DNA, which has been manifested throughout time, throughout the historical figures that uh, and the acts that they did that became the actual epic poems. Like if you actually read the Epic of Gilgamesh, it is riveting. If you actually read the Book of Exodus and the Book of Genesis. They are riveting, um, and it's just human nature and knowing where we come from and why we are the way we are can help us solve so many stupid little things that we forget when we're looking at our phones. Okay, this is this to me is fascinating and like deeply engaging. So on some level, you, you, you said earlier that the game was designed to deliver the most epic experience, and then... Um, now you're referencing these other works, these ancient, ancient works, as being like these the the, the these foundational epics. Yeah. So uh, talk to me about like how do these translate into game? Uh, what are your games like that you've created, inspired by these epics? Talk. I mean, talk to me more about epic, epic. Let's let's hear it. Yeah. So. Um... I mean, I'm a Christian, so I've been reading the King James Bible and some more modernized versions since I was a, a kid, and that has influenced the syntax, for basically how I think of words. Um, perhaps uh, it's a good thing, because I can like write poetry like nobody's business. 
Um, but I've also branched out into all of them because there's so much just potent drama and potent vignettes of people being people in suffering and in revelry. Um, and like those visceral moments that make you empathize with those people. Um, that's what, that's what it's all about, you know? Um, and then creating those kind of experiences again, because I feel like a lot of what I have grown up on, which I think is amazing, like these stories, right? The, so my favorite movie of all time is the Prince of Egypt, the, the, the animated film from the nineties, you know? And like, every time I watch that film, I, I cry. Uh, I am brought to tears because at one hand, perhaps it's a religious experience and that's, you know, you can do whatever you want with that. But then at the same time, it's also just the story of this man giving up his entire livelihood and everything he knew to travel halfway across the world in exile and then have his whole life turn on its head and then be forced to, well, not really forced, but asked to um, go back to that place and confront his brother and steal his, the, his actual people out from underneath his oppression. And then all of the things that ensue, like, 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 like that's a real story, you know? Um, and I can identify with that. So many can so many other people, but then because there aren't enough DreamWorks studios that can make all of these productions for all of these stories, like, I have the Arabian Nights on my stand. I have the Aeneid. I have the Iliad. I have the Fairy Queen. I have the Divine Comedy and all these other things. And it's like, nobody's going to remember these, but there's so much worth and value in them. I want, I want that to come back. You know, um, I want people to have that magic moment and then find themselves and find God. If, if we even take it that far, you know? Wow. That's, 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 that's incredible. That's that's incredible. I mean, this the like I when I read the Kickstarter, I really was like the the person who's written this Kickstarter is driven by a passion that is about more than just kind of like rolling dice and like hanging out with their friends, you know? And yeah. it's just really it's just fascinating to engage with you and to 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 really feel um where it is that you're coming from with this stuff. Also, just side note prince of egypt is a great movie oh yeah, my god I, yeah I, you know i you know c come at me bro uh yeah. c come at me listeners uh <laughs> I, it's a it's a very well done movie and i i think i think underrated um so wow uh so what, what what's your what's your background in terms of education like uh where, where what kind of academia are you bringing to this because because it, it just sounds like there's this hugely academic kind of like root here that's like kind of coming out sure um so right now i am getting my second degree at the community college that i live near um and my first degree was at this place called elam bible institute i have and associates in biblical studies and theology. And um, I mean, that, that might play a little bit of a role in it, but honestly, like the education that I've received at both uh, institutions has sort of just given me the foundations of how to go about um, researching, right? Like, like nobody has put the Aeneid or the Fairy Queen in front of me or the Book of the Dead, <laughs> or the Enuma Elish. Like, that book is freaking crazy. Um, I've read all of this on my own. 
and I'm just trying to f keep doing it. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's a sufficient answer to your questions. No, no. I mean, that's I, 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 I got a lot out of that. I got a lot of that. Yeah. You have a questing personality. I can, I can, I can. I, I'm getting. I'm definitely getting that from you. Of course. Um, of course. So, so, so often there's been this kind of contention portrayed between the religious community uh -huh. and the role-playing community. Yeah. I, f I feel like that might be breaking down a little bit now. Oh, yeah. Um, in the sort of like post kind of like Harry Potter world, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but I still go on Lulu, right? And I'm, I'm always on Lulu looking for like weird books and stuff. And, yeah. Um, I found like like this thing like Holy Quest or whatever, right? And it's oh like, God! It's like, oh, here you go. Here's a role playing game that you can play and be a Christian. You don't have to worry about it or anything. Um, so tell me, what has your experience been as a person of faith in your faith community uh, with your your uh, your passion for role playing and your and your role as a creator in the role playing industry? Um, I could say a lot of things. I think I'll just sum it up in one little uh, story. And then I'll probably ramble into a couple others. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Um, so when I was at Bible College, uh, I actually sort of was the the pioneer of bringing both like magic cards and role playing to the campus, and also like death metal screaming because like I I've been screaming death metal for ten years. Um, so I mean I was kind of a polarizing figure to begin with when I was there. Um, but it kind of got to a point where the, the headship sort of took a shadow stance against card games, but then also not calling them evil, blah, blah, blah. Cause I guess a bunch of people were talking smack behind my back, even though when I was there, it was, I was always the most approachable person. I don't get it. But, um, after that, it was really cool because a lot of the staff ended up just playing Star Wars RPG games with a lot of the people for the other uh, stuff and I don't I don't blame anybody I, I honestly think that like the paradigm between all of that and you're bringing up some cringy content it's like people just gotta be like okay with being themselves and not give a crap about what other people think of them like like if Jesus has touched your life then, then live that life and, and do it but don't be a pansy, you know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I no, I like that. Don't be a pansy. I'm, 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 I'm game. Yeah. Um, so, so you do, you do, you do death metal yourself? Are you in a bit of death metal outfit? Not right now. Um, actually, this past two and a half years, I've gotten into black metal, and like my whole life changed. You know. <laughs> <laughs> T tell me more. Um, so I kind of got on and got peeked into it with actually this one band that is not a death or, or black metal band, a screamo band called Circle Takes a Square. I've been listening to them since I was in Bible college and they're like this pagan screamo outfit and they, they have like all these esoteric themes in their work and everything. But um like like their instrumentation is just so awesome. Like they have a, a female screamer and a male screamer and they both sing and they both get into it and like their first album was kind of emo or whatever, kind of punky, but then their second album, Decompositions Volume 1, it's just, they go, their dynamic can go so attack, you know, but it's not like heavy with the bass, it's, it's kind of more just um, brighter overall and raw, but then at the same time they do 
these parts where they just sing and they do these kind of like rhythmic. You just gotta check that album out, man. But it's it's not black metal, but it's black metal enough, and that sort of was like the precursor into like, hey, I want more of this sound. What do I do? And then the internet was like, hey, here's all of this new black metal that's not super true cult black metal, but then I ate all that up, like Deaf Heaven and all that. But man, I love me some Immortal, some freaking Abbott, uh, Mayhem, and all of them, you know, like they're so great. The riffs that they got. I am the Black Wizards, man. If you listen to that song, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Drew, you are a compelling character, man. Oh, thanks. I, I am really happy I met you. I am really happy I met you. Uh, I'm excited for your game. Um, t- t- tell the audience where they can interact with you. Yeah. Like, where, where, where can we... You know what? Before we get to that, what's next, man? What's the next thing after this game? What's so, the next thing? So really, it's kind of like finding out uh, a livable way to go through this, right? I just had a meeting yesterday with my two confidants... And we were talking about, like, release schedules and everything. Um, Because, like, this release, I've learned so much. It's kind of like making your first album, you know. Like, (laughs) there's so many ins and outs. You don't know what you're doing. (laughs) But um, but now we have some gleanings of wisdom. And I think we're going to get to a point where we're going to release one uh, book a year. And then with each book we release, after the six-month period, we're going to probably be releasing... A module book and that'll kind of be potentially smaller but we'll have six months to work on it so we're gonna fucking do it you know what i mean <laughs> but we've got uh 14 books planned so far that's a lot of books yeah that's a lot of books we have well, most I, I say most we have a lot of them with the content either already finished just from the backlog of the past five years or more so well i'm excited man um i am eagerly watching your career I want you to stay in touch with the show. Oh, and, please. Uh, I'd love to come on and just talk metal sometimes or just anything, dude. I, 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 I want I want us to be able to help you as much as we possibly can because this, this has been really great. This has been really great. I've had a lot of fun, too. Awesome, man. That's good. That is good to know, man. Let me know. Uh, how, let the audience know. Where can they find you? What can they... Um, how can they interact with you? How can they interact with the the Epic of Dreams? Like, what are the best ways? Yeah. Um, so right now we have our Facebook and Instagram are our main uh, avenues, but we're going to be opening up more. Um, you can just type in Facebook or Instagram slash Epic of Dreams or at Epic of Dreams um, on either platforms. You'll find us. Also, we are on YouTube under the guise of the furnace of dreams because we're going to be talking about not just uh content that's directly related to explicitly our game but we also have um larp dramas that we upload and uh general gm content because you know everybody's doing that but um that's going to kind of be the bread and butter of where we're going assuming that different things happen but um we're gonna have a lot of actual plays we're gonna have a lot of content i guess um, but I don't know when that'll be in full swing. We also have a Facebook group called Epic of Dreams Hordling Harbor, and that's where we can get together and, um, schedule like Google Hangouts, Facebook live games. So awesome. And, uh, let's see, 
the the Kickstarter. So I'm posting this tonight, guys. We are recording in the morning and in the evening, Arizona time. This is going up. So if you're one of the people who's listening in the first couple of days, according to my Kickstarter app right now that I'm looking at at this exact moment, it says four days. It says four days left to back. Is that right? Yeah. Um, we end on Thursday, I believe. And right now we're just over the tip of being fully funded. I really, really want to get it to a point where we can just do these in hardcover because that would be great. That's our final stretch goal at 28,000 or 2,800. Oh my God. (laughs) 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 So, so that's uh, Thursday, October 11th, everybody. If it's, if you're listening to this on or before Thursday, October 11th, get over to Kickstarter back the epic of dreams uh i backed it i endorsed this project um drew thank you so much for coming on hey man thanks for having me this has been a blast this has been this has been a blast uh you're a rare character man and i'm really excited to see what you what you do uh coming up thanks man thank you again yeah also um we have a a we have a fantasy drama live already on our youtube yorman's venture um we did it we got a live dragon inside of it is is awesome. <laughs> Please check it out. Yorman's that's, Adventure. That's on the Furnace of Dreams YouTube? Yeah, it's J-O-R-M-I-N apostrophe S Venture. A fantasy drama. Awesome. I'm going to link to that in the show notes, everybody, so you can find it down there. Alright, Drew, thanks for coming on. Of course, dude. Alright, have a good night. You too. Bye.